I distinctly remember the first time I heard, or rather saw, Steel Pulse in the early 80s. My college had a free movie night in the student center every Friday. This was before the advent of personal computers, and long before VCRs were affordable enough for students to have in their dorm rooms. On this particular night, the student council was showing the 1982 British concert film Erg, A Music War, which presents 30-plus new wave musical acts performing live without narration or context. Shot around 1980, the film offers a broad cross-section of bands, from superstars on the rise like The Police, to underground staples like Gang of Four, Echo and the Bunnymen, and XTC, alongside now-forgotten oddities like Surf Punks and Invisible Sex. Ignoring musical labels, Erg showcases a diverse group of bands playing to enthusiastic audiences, and it was my introduction to bands like Wall of Voodoo, Oingo Boingo, and The Cramps. But as a huge ska and reggae fan, it was also a chance to finally see bands like the members UB40 and Steel Pulse with my own eyes. There's a point in Erg when Steel Pulse suddenly appear and kick right into their powerful song Ku Klux Klan. It's a mesmerizing and eerie theatrical performance punctuated by the appearance of one of the band members in a white clan hood and gown. Seeing this sent shivers down my spine. The image of hooded clansmen just wasn't something you often saw, and when you did, it was frightening. As a young Jewish kid, I was more terrified of Nazis and clansmen than monsters under my bed. Released in 1978, just as Two-Tone was starting to make some initial waves, Ku Klux Klan was meaningful to me as I attempted to make sense of the racism and anti-Semitism around me in the late 70s and early 80s. Here in the U.S., there were regular Klan and Nazi party demonstrations and marches in places like Boston, North Carolina, and Skokie, Illinois, which was home to more than 5,000 Holocaust survivors. I remember watching the Steel Pulse performance with my mouth open. Here was a song by a black British reggae band documenting racism and calling the Klan out in particular. The performance left me wanting to know more, but also with an important question. Why was a black British reggae band calling out an American racist organization? Steel Pulse lead singer David Hines said of the song and the striking live performance, I was reading about the Ku Klux Klan. They had a leader named David Duke, and he was supposed to be coming to the United Kingdom to influence leaders of the National Front, a racist political party, and help them on how to control and contain the blacks that were living in England. My imagination just got the better of me, and I started imagining white extremists on the streets of Handsworth. As a budding musician, the song demonstrated the power of combining a social conscience with vivid storytelling that could both entertain and educate. It's something I still believe in strongly and miss in a lot of current popular music today. And it made me a lifelong fan of Steel Pulse, 
who along with the two-tone bands offered me an identity and a way of looking at the world. Hi, I'm Mark Wasserman. Welcome to Punky Reggae Party, a special audio documentary series of the Ska Boom podcast that focuses on the historical origins and impact of reggae on popular music that will explore the phenomena of punk and post-punk bands adopting the sounds of reggae and vice versa. Ska Boom is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, which is the MTV of podcasting, featuring a wide range of musical shows focused on history, interviews, commentary, news, careers, industry reviews, conversations, books, films, comedy, and more. In many ways, Steel Pulse were a response and a necessary reaction to growing and open racism in England, highlighted by the rise in popularity of the National Front in the mid-70s. This open embrace of white nationalism came to the fore with an ugly racist rant by Eric Clapton at a show in Birmingham where the members of Steel Pulse were born and lived. If you've never read or heard the exact words that Clapton spoke from the stage that night in August 1976, they are truly shocking and disgusting. And though he later offered a half-hearted apology for them, they represented hidden white nationalist beliefs held by many in England at the time and sadly to this day. The words Clapton used are ugly and upsetting, so listener discretion is advised for this next bit. Clapton was visibly intoxicated on stage that night in Birmingham, but the message he spoke at the mic was clear. As he advocated his support for Enoch Powell, a controversial right-wing British politician, well-known for his anti-immigration views, he took things even further, asking the audience if there were any people of color present. I don't want you here in the room or in my country, Clapton said. Listen to me, man. I think we should vote for Enoch Powell. Enoch's our man. I think Enoch's right. I think we should send them all back. His words echoed much of the sentiment Powell had espoused in his infamous 1968 Rivers of Blood speech, in which he staunchly criticized mass immigration and implied that the majority of immigrants arriving in the UK were doing so with a view to the exercise of actual domination, first over fellow immigrants and then over the rest of the population. Clapton, however, was much more blunt. Stop Britain from becoming a black colony, he said. Get the foreigners out. Get the wogs out. Get the coons out. Keep Britain white. I used to be into dope. Now I'm into racism. It's much heavier, man. Fucking wogs, man. Fucking Saudis taking over London. Bastard wogs. Britain is becoming overcrowded, and Enoch will stop it and send them all back. The black wogs and coons and Arabs and fucking Jamaicans and fucking don't belong here. We don't want them here. This is England. This is a white country. We don't want any black wogs and coons living here. We need to make clear to them they are not welcome. England is for white people, man. We are a white country. I don't want fucking wogs living next to me with their standards. This is Great Britain, a white country. What is happening to us for fuck's sake? How Clapton didn't suffer any consequences at the time is shocking, as is the fact that the rest of the concert continued as normal, with no reaction from the audience. But the rant was the inspiration behind the start of the Rock Against Racism movement and the beginning of the bond between punk and reggae in the UK. Between 1976 and 1982, Rock Against Racism activists organized national carnivals and tours 
as well as gigs at clubs throughout the UK, and brought together black and white fans in their common love of music in order to discourage young people from embracing racism. The bands who joined came from diverse musical genres, which was reflected in one of the Rock Against Racism slogans, reggae, soul, rock and roll, jazz, funk, and punk. If any band deserves a title of punky reggae kings, it's Steel Pulse. They helped invent British reggae, and Ku Klux Klan is definitely one of the great punk singles without actually being a punk record. Steel Pulse were also instrumental in making reggae part of punk's repertoire and were as vital to the explosion of punk as The Clash and The Sex Pistols. The original members of Steel Pulse, David Hines, Ronald Stepper McQueen, Basil Gabadon, and Selwyn Brown all hailed from the Birmingham ghettos of Hansworth, England. Their families were immigrants from Jamaica and the West Indies. Growing up in poverty, they were victimized by racist attitudes that kept them from being accepted in the highly stratified British society. They found some solace and considerable cultural pride in the island music they grew up with, including calypso, mento, ska, bluebeat, and eventually reggae during their boyhood in the 60s. One of their biggest influences back then was Burning Spear, considered the father of the Rastafari music movement in Britain, from whom they heard the radical messages and philosophies they later shaped into their own music. first came together in early 1975 at the suggestion of McQueen, their bassist. None of them really knew how to play, but their sincere desire drove them to practice extensively, so they taught each other the basics of music. The band spent the next three years honing their sound, playing covers of songs by Burning Spear, Bob Marley, and others, while looking for places to play. Finding gigs was difficult. The owners of British black clubs found reggae music and Rastafarians with their radical, anti-authoritarian ideas and penchant for smoking ganja, subversive and inflammatory, and would not let the band perform. The band did not really get their break until the birth of the punk movement. The punk and new wave bands love Steel Pulse, and the group opened for such acts as The Clash, Generation X, The Stranglers, XTC, and The Police. The latter two bands had a great influence on Steel Pulse and taught them to articulate their music, making it precise and professional. During performances, the band would wear wild, highly symbolic clothing to show their defiance. McQueen would wear tails and a bowler to symbolize British bureaucracy. Vocalist Michael Riley dressed as a vicar, while percussionist Alfonso Martin dressed as an 18th century footman. Such statements endeared them to the punks. This led to the band being criticized by British reggae acts who didn't want to be associated with the punk rock scene or of selling out. As Hines remembers, they didn't want to have anything to do with that racket, to be honest. If the punk rock movement had not happened in England, there would be no steel pulse or any British reggae because it was on the backs of the punk rockers that reggae got its foot in the door. Reggae, Rasta, Roots, Repatriation, and Riots Against Police Brutality. So it was all about anarchy and the punks had their version of anarchy. And back then they said to themselves, hang on, here's another style of music that's about anarchy, so let's join them. 
and that's how reggae got on board. As such, Steel Pulse were the first British reggae band to play at a white punk club when they appeared on the same bill as Generation X at the newly opened Vortex Club in London in August 1977. In January 1978, Simple Minds made their professional debut alongside Steel Pulse in Glasgow. Three months later, the band headlined at the Roundhouse in London. On that bill were an up-and-coming band called The Police. Aligning themselves closely with the Rock Against Racism organization and featuring in its first music festival in the spring of 1978, they chose to tour with sympathetic elements of the punk movement, including the Stranglers, XTC, and others. Hines was quoted as saying, Punks had a way of enjoying themselves. Throw hordes at you, beer, spit at you, that kind of thing. The band also penned the song, Jopickney, R-A-R, from their Handsworth Revolution album that, like Ku Klux Klan, was taking on the national front and gave their full-throated support to the Rock Against Racism organization with lyrics like, Rock Against Racism, Smash It, Rock Against Fascism, Smash It, Rock Against Nazism, Me Say Smash It, I've come to the conclusion that we're going to hunt the national front. Give Ja Pickney a listen. Front. I said the national front. 
Hines shared during an interview with Metro in the UK in 2017 how he approached songwriting that illustrated his own experiences of growing up in England. The initial inspiration that got me writing was the experiences that I was having as a youth. Then reading the grassroots magazines in the ghetto, which were very political, got me interested in what was happening with the black man in America, and I compared that to what was happening in England at the time. They were running parallel. Added to that was Bob Marley's music, which was educating us from his Jamaican standpoint. So I thought it was necessary for myself and the band as a collective to put together music to air our views from a British standpoint. And when it comes to awakening people to what is going on around them, reggae is the best music there is. Once they started playing punk shows in London, they were considered the first black punk band. This perception caused them to lose much of their black audience, and they had to publicly announce on the BBC TV show Sight and Sound in 1978 that they were not a punk band. This declaration won them back much of their black audience. Amazingly, the band would end the 70s supporting Bob Marley on his European tour, attracting new fans from the continent. For the next few years in the early 80s, Steel Pulse continued with their militant brand of reggae and broke America. The key moment being a performance in Washington, D.C. on the night of Bob Marley's funeral, which was beamed across the planet by satellite. Hines' goal of drawing attention to the plight of black people remains vividly relevant in the 21st century era of the Black Lives Matter movement. Here's what he had to say in 1978. When we perform songs like Ku Klux Klan and National Front, we aren't trying to start trouble between the black and white communities, just that we want both black and white to be aware of what's happening and what it can lead to. Organizations like the National Front aren't just against blacks and Asians. They're against anyone that's not from a British background. Look, we're not against white people, just that we want black and white people to be aware of what happens to black people all over the world, and that could happen here. Songs like Ku Klux Klan are a warning, not a solution. If there was a solution, someone would have found it years ago. enjoyed this episode of Punky Reggae Party. I want to thank my co-producer and engineer Rob George for making me sound good. My book Ska Boom is available from DeWolf Publishing at DeWolf.com. That's D-I-W-U-L-F.com as well as on Amazon. Thanks for listening and take care. <laughs>